Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon. And I'm Marcus Dillon. And this podcast is Who's Really the Boss, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. Well, hey, welcome to Who's Really the Boss podcast. We have uh, Marcus, as always, and also Justin Newhall, uh, DBA's Vice President of Revenue with us today. Welcome, guys. Hi, thanks. Hey, thanks. Justin, I would love to have you give a little introduction of yourself and tell everybody just a little bit about you. Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> I'm the Vice President of Revenue for DBA, uh, but my history is really in revenue go-to-market strategy. So I've worked primarily in SaaS for a long time, uh, but also with a lot of professional services companies as well, helping them build different go-to-market strategies, regaining sales, marketing, customer success, revenue operations, and just trying to bring process and infrastructure to different companies to help them scale. And so that's what I've been doing for a long time and I love it. Um, In addition to that, I have three beautiful children. They are three five and eight respectively their birthdays are in a couple months um and then i have a beautiful wife and we've been married for 10 years and i live out in denver is where i'm at so a little bit further away from houston but love it out here and we are so thankful for technology and remote capabilities that not only do you get to be part of our team but also we can do cool things like this and record a podcast without being face to face in the same room so that is pretty awesome it's quite amazing I will agree. (laughs) So today we are talking about a question we often get asked, uh, can I hire a person for my team? So small business owners are wondering, can I afford to hire this person? Do I even need to hire this person? Which position would help alleviate some of my stress? So today's conversation is all about capacity planning. But before we get to that, Justin, we would love to hear the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I mean, the word best is so hard. Um, <clears throat> received so many over the years, but if I had to try to nail it down, there's one that always sticks out to me. And it's one I try to implement and practice every day in any role that I have. And it sounds really simple, but in practice, it's quite difficult. But some of the best, like most influential coaches, leaders, and just people that I've followed and worked with in my career, they all do this exceptionally well. And it's simply just listen, right? Um, And that's listening to the Lord, your team, your customers, your peers, your family. Um, It's really quite amazing what you can learn and succeed by just listening. And I think so many people get lost in the fact of like listening and hearing, right? And what I mean is really more hearing than just listening and taking that and implementing what you learn through that. So like I said, hard to narrow it down to one, but that's one that always has, has stuck with me. Marcus, do you have any thoughts on that uh, best piece of advice of listening? Oh man. Yeah. I, I, somebody <laughs> tells me all the time that I should listen more, um, but I, I don't think it's the quantity of listening. I think it's the quality of listening that is uh, yeah. At, at the issue of a lot of discourse uh, a lot of times. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think 100%. a lot of times we get caught up in either listening while distracted or listening to answer 
rather than listening to actually understand. And so, yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice that every single one of us can practice and get better at is listening to understand and to take action. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about, for me, like just the active listening, right? Like if you need to throw on one actional descriptor there. So, but yeah. 100% agree. Awesome. Okay. So today we are talking all about capacity planning. So let's start with what is it? What does that mean? Yeah. Capacity planning can be defined in a lot of different ways. And I think it depends on the different industry you're in, the size of your company, et cetera, on how you go about with capacity planning. But one of the simplest ways that I like to sum up capacity planning is it's the process of understanding and predicting the volume of an individual team or team member that can effectively to meet current and future demands, right? So how can you plan based on your current volume, current revenue, current situation to be proactive versus reactive? Um, and that's how I would really start to define capacity planning is building a process and building a structure to be able to proactively hire and not reactively hire because they're two dramatically different things on how they impact your business and the day-to-day -day operations when you're reactive versus proactive. Absolutely. And Marcus, do you want to share a little bit about um, kind of our journey with capacity planning prior to 2022 and, and Justin's uh, arrival with our team? Yeah. Um, from the very beginning, uh, capacity planning, you may have thought we were doing some type of planning, but we were not. Um, and, and this happens a lot in professional services, especially, you know, accounting, tax, CPA firms, um, where you accept clients because it, that's what you do. You grow. Um, and so you accept a client, you come in and then somebody's got to do that work. And we have bodies around us. We have the personnel, the team, and we know that there's 24 hours in a day. So what happens? You just do the work, however long it takes. There really is no planning that goes into that. That ultimately leads to burnout, leads to poor quality, poor customer service. And we started this journey so far back um, that I don't even know when we started to, to first say no to new clients because we didn't have capacity. We didn't know what that would look like. There just wasn't enough time in the day any longer. And then we started moving into a better model to where we uh, built out teams to serve those clients. And so even something that we've learned over the last years, um, whenever we have this business model, where essentially we have two lines of business where part of the business is being served by a team where we can plan out capacity. We do know based on someone's hourly workload, how much work that they can handle on an ongoing basis and build a client base around that person and around that team, that's easier to plan for and that can grow and scale and you can plan for that. The problem was that we experienced only just a few years back is we kind of had that model, but then we also still had some annual clients, some annual commitments and as we built up the model that we wanted and hung on to the clients that we were afraid to let go of, when those clients came back in the doors of the business, so to speak, nobody had the time to serve those clients any longer because they were already at capacity in the model that we built, the one that we wanted to continue building. And so it was real evident um, a couple of years back, or maybe 
I think it was a couple of years back and um, was talking with Charles, our tax director. And it's just like, no one has time to, no one has more available time to do this unless they work overtime. And mm -hmm. we don't want them to work outside of their committed hours. A lot of other professional service firms are okay with people just working more to get the work done, but we've taken a stance that that's not what we want to do. So to get that back in balance, obviously as a part of capacity planning, we had to adjust adjust the funnel or the, the workload to get that back into balance. Yeah, and just a high level to add to add on to that, or maybe even just to summarize, we would look kind of at our team's hours and how much they were working and look at, okay, almost everybody on our team is working more hours than they originally committed to work for DBA. So we need to hire somebody. So then we'd start looking for somebody, but during that whole time, we were having to say no or pump the brakes on looking for new clients. And then we got to a point where we knew we had new clients coming in, new prospects calling. We didn't want to say no to them or just refer them out. So we started just always having openings and always taking interviews with anybody um, who had the right qualifications. Um, we would definitely vet them as a new prospective team member. And even if we didn't have work to fill them to capacity yet, we would just hire them in hopes that or knowing that soon, hopefully, we have enough work to come in. And so obviously, there's some uh, issues that could arise if you're hiring people before you have enough work for them to do if that work never comes. Uh, Marcus mentioned burnout for the ones who are working past what they originally committed. And so capacity planning, uh, what we have seen what we hope to continue to see is to help really mitigate those issues that could arise by kind of shooting off the hip and trial and error and really kind of having some sort of a predictable plan in place. Yeah. And that's what it's really all about is having predictability behind it. Right. And so many times in small businesses, whether it's professional services, SaaS, startup, you know, whatever it may be, it's always a very common vicious cycle, basically what you were just walking through to where we grow. Great. We haven't necessarily planned for this growth from a capacity perspective. Now we're reactively hiring our teams underwater. We're going to constantly feel overwhelmed while we try to catch back up. And it just adds to that vicious cycle. Then you get caught back up. Then you go through a new valley and peak of business development. And it just kind of occurs by itself. And this is where I think every business and its growth journey experiences that pain and uh, being able to then effectively put in rip off a band-aid essentially of saying hey there needs to be some type of change on how we proactively plan around this is always a step that's necessary but sometimes can be a difficult step depending on on your setup and i think at dba you know we've made a lot of strides in moving forward with finding a model that works for us and there's lots of different ways to effectively plan for that capacity too so, and not just in service, right? Like marketing needs capacity planning, sales teams need capacity planning, product teams, if you have a product, right? I mean, a lot of it goes into how you want to establish that and the metrics and the different things you look at to plan for that effectively differs for every department. It's not a one size fits all either. So if somebody's kind of over going through those peaks and valleys of, uh, 
working people working overtime and getting burnt out or trying to hire and not finding someone quick enough or they've hired someone and now they have to let them go because there's not work for them to do what kind of what is the strategy or where do you start for capacity planning to kind of make this a little bit more even and predictable? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think it's a lot of question that many business owners probably ask themselves is where do I even begin to start this process, right? Because what I've been doing now has been working. Now it's not, I've kind of reached this plateau. <laughs> um, and I think where it all comes down to is you have to know what your capacity like per individual team member is. Right. And so for DBA as an example, it's, it's hours, right? So how many hours are we dedicating to each client? But then it's also a matter of, is there efficiency gaps, right? Because if you can increase your efficiency, then you're now decreasing the amount of hours that you're using per client or per service or whatever it may be, which then in essence bumps up that capacity a little bit, depending on how efficient you can be. So I think to start the strategy, you need to take a serious look at your processes, your overall business structure, and start to identify, is there gaps in the efficiency for how we serve clients, gain clients, or market to clients? Um, because that's going to be able to identify quickly, great, we have this gap here, we need to fix this, that's going to increase efficiency by 10%. Well, if we just increase efficiency by 10% across the service org, maybe that just increased our capacity by 20%, right? And so... It just kind of depends on where you're at in that journey. But if you can start to identify those, then you can start to take a systematic approach with the metrics and the, the, the calculations and everything that needs to happen that goes into that. Like good example is if you, let's just take a full-time employee, for example, um, working eight hours a day for 22 days a month, that's 176 working hours, right? In a given month for 20, 22 days. Well, after you incorporate like shrinkage, right? So external shrinkage, internal shrinkage. So pay time off, vacation versus internal meetings, trainings, development, personal development, things like that. If you remove that, let's just say that equals out to about 51 hours out of that 176, that's a 29% shrinkage, right? And so, which basically means that that person has 125 available working hours out of the 176. So from there, if you can start to calculate that information and put those averages in place and you've increased your efficiency and that's where your baseline is, well, now you can take that 125 hours and start saying, great, I know based off our history and efficiency increase that 125 hours could serve X amount of clients per person, right? And then that starts to give you an idea of what your capacity is and then obviously avoiding things like burnout too. So I think it's all about identifying your efficiency gaps first. You need to solve that before you can really get into true capacity planning. I love that. And I don't want to get you off track, but I feel like we have a, a good example um, of helping with efficiency with a process that felt like at one time there wasn't a solution to make it faster. Uh, Marcus, do you want to share a little bit how we implemented Uncat, where it felt like something that was a on the client and there was no way for us to improve it. Yeah, so um, Uncat's a great software tool. Brandon over there is a, is a good guy. If you haven't looked at that, it's uncat.com, I believe. And uh, Uncat is a simple uh, application, a plugin that our team uses to ask clients what these trans how these transactions should be coded. And uh, in our type of, uh, 
client base. There's transactions coming in through QBO feeds that we don't, we just don't know have the idea to properly categorize them from the beginning, or we second guess how those could be coded. So that was a, a piece of inefficiency that created um, kind of questioning in that closed process. And we asked our CSMs, what's the biggest pain point you have? And they said um, AMAs, which is Ask My Accountant Transactions. And so NCAT actually takes those transactions, puts them into a digest that can be emailed to the client either daily, weekly, um, whatever frequency you want. And then the client has a triggering mechanism to code those transactions appropriately. The previous way we used to handle that was we'd extract those, drop them into Excel, uh, and then ask the client. The client would have to go through and update us that way as opposed to technology solving for some of those pain points. So um, there's other solutions out there um, as well, but we ultimately landed on one that was easy to use and didn't require a separate login for the client because that we know that logins um, are, are a piece of friction whenever you're trying to work with somebody. And it really, yeah, it really saved time because our team was not spending time sending multiple follow-up emails requesting that information uh, or phone calls with the client to get that information because the client can now answer that literally from their phone, um, no matter where they are. And it takes them just a few seconds. The client knows what the transactions are and what they were for. It's very easy for them to answer, but when they're having to wait to be able to be somewhere to open an Excel document, to put the answers in the Excel document and then send it back to our team, that's where they would get hung up and forget. And then our teams, you know, constantly reaching out, at potentially a bad time for the client. So then they forget again. So definitely has increased a little bit of efficiency just from a process improvement where that didn't require us going and hiring anybody else, um, just gave them back a little bit more time in their day. Yeah, and I think to answer the question you asked Justin, where do you begin? Um, I'd almost say you also begin with the end, like how much money do you wanna make this year? And what, what does that lifestyle look like? So that's where you start. And if you want net profit to be X, let's say $200,000, do you have to build an $800,000 revenue company, a million dollar revenue company? And then you back into the numbers to say, okay, based on that, I need X number of clients at X number of dollars per month. And then what does the team look like that serves those clients? Or am I willing to do all of that work myself? It's that balance. So I think you also have to take that approach to be realistic in what, what type of lifestyle do you want to lead? What's the income requirements you have? And, and then go build the business that way too. And it's a lot easier to do that with zero clients as opposed to um, a client base that you have to churn and kind of manipulate and kind of move into different service models um, that, that does require some work. Really good point. Cause I think in a lot of small businesses that I know of don't go this debt, this deep into the numbers, but if you can build out a true revenue economics model for, to your point, the end in mind, even if it's just this year, right? Like what do I want to end at this year from a revenue perspective that backed out into kind of, if you're running an MRR model, what's our reoccurring MRR? What's our growth MRR? What is our month over month growth depending on our sales projections, right? And then taking those sales projections 
and working that backwards into great. If we got X amount of revenue, X amount of clients coming in in these three months, we're going to need this many team members to serve these clients based on our model, which then starts to help with if you have efficiency figured out and you know what your capacity limits are, you can begin to say, okay, based on this growth, based on this net number of clients that we're looking to grow by, we expect that we're going to need an additional CSM in Q3. We're going to need an additional controller in Q4. We're going to need an additional CFO in Q1 of 2024. And it starts to outline this roadmap that allows you to effectively plan against based on the incoming revenue, incoming client growth that you're expecting based on your overall targets and goals for the year. So it's a really good point, Marcus. Um, start with the end. All right. So moving on from <laughs> you've started, um, you've looked at it. What's next? Yeah. So once you've kind of dove into the numbers and the metrics, and if you know the certain components around, this is my capacity per team, right? This is what the optimal opti or optimal operating efficiency is for this team. Then it's all about planning it out. And this really depends on where you're at in your org. Right, because sometimes this may deserve a full org restructure. Sometimes it may just depend on you need to shift certain team members around to a specific role, or maybe it's you need to restructure just one department, right? It just kind of depends on where you're at as an organization. For DBA as an example, like we already had before I came in and started working with DBA, there was already an effective model in place. Now it's just a matter of you know shifting some minor things to make it a little bit more optimal for the planning piece, right? Um, and so I think it just kind of depends on what that looks like. And it all depends on what model you think is going to work best for you, right? Some want to do pods, really common structure, depending on the service org, um, or maybe you want to measure it by individual team. Um, so do teams instead of pods. There's lots of different ways, but you have to decide what's going to work best for your revenue model as well as how you want to measure that capacity, right? Because you can measure capacity in a lot of different ways. MRR, SaaS companies, depending on how you track revenue, maybe it's revenue carry, right? For um, retail stores, maybe it's personnel based on volume, depending on seasonality. There's a lot of different things that go into how you want to start to measure your capacity. And that's what you have to decide on next is what is that overall structure going to be? Justin kind of mentioned our model. So, you know, a few years back, we really developed that pod or that team of three model and have leaned into that. And we, sur we surround every all-inclusive client with this team, the client service manager, the client controller, the client CFO, and each of them have their respective touch points on the client to fully serve that client. And we ultimately landed on that model because of pain points that we went through. So... Um, we thought we were doing a great job and serving the client and, and the client is super confused because they don't know who on our team that they need to reach out to for bookkeeping or payroll or taxes or general advice. Um, so they, they would just like send a mass email to everybody just because they didn't know. So they weren't fully educated. We hadn't done a good job of explaining how we work. And then we we even had additional pain points. So a good example, and we're not perfect by any means. Um, and so we try to learn from those imperfections. And one year we had done a, a great, you know, tax savings. We had a client who outgrew their structure. We uh, elected to treat them as an S corporation, set them up on payroll. And that was all done at the DBA level. 
we went to go prepare their individual tax return. We included the K-1, but we forgot to include the new W-2 for that client, which had their wages on it. And the reason why was because there was a new team member that picked up the tax that wasn't involved when, in all that planning throughout the year. So there was parts of that relationship that were lost. And how, how bad did we look that we, you know, recommended that someone go on salary and then forgot to pick up their W-2 that was in another folder just because it wasn't there last year. And so, you know, it was a, an oversight, a big one on our part, and we learned from it and we said, okay, this is the team that's serving them not only throughout the year, but during this process that comes up once a year. Um, the, the other thing that we're kind of coming into now and a pain point um, that we're trying to work through is more internal. So whenever we have a new client that comes in that team of three, we essentially would assign the team to that new client based on who's available, like who who's not at full capacity and we would build out these teams of three just based on based on availability alone and not necessarily have a structure to that team. So we're trying to get better. We're trying to restructure that to where it does make a little bit more sense that certain CSMs work with certain client controllers just to have consistency uh, in, in, in their week to week or month to month uh, process and that they ultimately know who they're working for, how they like uh, to work and how they can communicate and build a relationship. It, it, it reminds me of like uh, that movie office space where it's got, where I've got five bosses, Bob, you know, where it's like, how many people do you work with? And fantastic um, movie. <laughs> that, that that's ultimately what we accidentally created because we had no, no plan in mind. So now it's harder to undo that. And, than to do it the right way from the very beginning to where you have a pod structure where you've got one point person running the team, two kind of managers, and then four, um, you know, CSMs. Um, so in our model, that's CSM controller CFO. And then like Justin said, then we can kind of put a roadmap together to make sure that that pod is running at full capacity. Yeah. And it helps with true accountability too. Right. Um, to your point, like I know exactly who I need to go to for not just advice, but like performance. And it gives a clear direction for career progression. Um, like if I'm a CSM, I know my next step is controller. And I know based on that step, I know what qualities I need to portray. And then I'm getting that feedback directly from a controller. So I know exactly what I need to work on in my day to day to get that. So it just adds a little bit more of that overall structure and, and process as well. So it's a good point. Yeah. And we, we build out those pods based on niche or expertise as well. And you kind of get some uh, efficiencies of scale and working with the same type of clients um, and just having that knowledge base, not only across a, a client, individual client, but also across an in industry. Justin, would you talk through some of the important metrics um, to have available and to be looking at when capacity planning and kind of what each of those metrics will allow you to do? Yeah, I think so in the eyes of DBA, right, it's the number one metric we want to look at is hours per client, because um, that really helps us understand what is kind of our average. This obviously plays into the pricing too a little bit because if we have a more complex client come on board, 
pricing is generally higher, which means more hours, right? Which then ultimately plays into the capacity planning piece because if we have a client that's 3X in price, it's 3X the hours as far as what we would assume. And so that's one piece that you definitely wanna be able to track, at least in the service world. If you're looking at different types of teams, I'll just kind of list off some metrics that you can look at depending on the org that you're in. Uh, but if you operate in a service world where you operate off tickets, right? So it could be um, ticket capacity, ticket response time, um, efficiency, it could be occupancy, right? Um, the other things you could look at is revenue per team. So for DBA perspective, you know, we really like to track how much revenue per team of three are they carrying? Because that directly correlates to the amount of hours that each team of three is designating. And then we can say, awesome, if the target goal for each team of three is this, once they start reaching 80% of that capacity, we now know we need to start and we have time and runway to hire another CSM or another controller. That way we're not burning out our team and 100% capacity comes around and they go, I, I can't do this client. And now we're trying to scramble to fire, find a hire, right? Um, so revenue capacity, revenue carry, MRR per team or per person, um, occupancy, depending on your, your uh, company, it could be geographically, right? If you're looking at a sales team for capacity, like how big is the overall territory for a particular rep or how big is that overall total addressable market for that rep? And as we grow, does that shrink? Because if that shrinks, then that means that I need additional hires for that particular geography. Um, but those are some little metrics to kind of help get you started as far as what it needs to look like when planning that out. Services is hours, number one. And then time spent per role as far as what they're doing for each client. And I would add to that, there's big discussion uh, in accounting and different industries where how valuable is tracking your time. Mm -hmm. um, we still track our time. Uh, you could call us old school in that sense. I think maybe that's the only old school thing that we kind of hang on to. But a lot of firms still use that time to then invoice their client based on some hourly. So we definitely don't do that. The way that we look at time is really like we want to make sure that it, we're staying true to the commitment that we have with the team member as far as their balance. So if they only committed to 32 hours, uh, we want to make sure that we're respecting that 32 hours and, you know, essentially filling their plate with the right amount of work. And, you know, Justin brought up 80% um, as far as capacity planning. And we would never want a team member to get to 100% because there's training that's involved. There's administrative tasks that go into that 100%. And it's just not an option to go over 100%. Uh, I think the the industry that we are in, uh, it's just assumed that you're going to operate at 120% um, because of overtime. And that number is then translated hours and what's your billable metric. And so you'll see in a lot of CPA firms is that 2,300 hours billable, 2,500 hours billable per year. And that doesn't include admin. That doesn't include education. And we just wanted something different from the beginning. So capacity planning has always been important to us. Yeah, and on that note, just to piggyback a little bit more, like hiring and onboarding a new team member takes months. <clears throat> and 
and to get them fully ramped and to get them fully up to speed so they can operate a hundred percent efficiency, you know, planning ahead for those increased workloads for your team. Cause now your team's still taking on the same amount of clients, but now they're also training as well. And so being able to plan ahead, and this goes back to that little calculation that I did where you have like shrinkage, right? And what does that look like per client, per team member, et cetera? It's critical to that success and planning because if you are underwater and you're reacting to a hire, well, now you just added a bunch more stress to your team because they're having to train as well as do their existing clients in a time where we should have been ahead of that by three months, right? And we gave ourselves some runway. So um, yeah, just to add on that piece a little bit, why that's so important. Yeah. Whose responsibility is capacity planning um, or who who in an organization should be looking and thinking about this? Well, I think most people are probably tired of this answer, but it depends, <laughs> right? <laughs> on the size of organization that you are, the personnel that you have, you know, what your goals and growth goals are for the year, you know, for DBA, it's, it's mine and Marcus, right? Like we're working a lot to figure out what this looks like for the team. Um, and that primarily relates because I'm overlooking and trying to see all of the economics behind the revenue, right? Um, and what does that look like? Cause we're tracking from a revenue carry perspective, but it could be like, if you have a service org, it could be the leader of that service org. So a VP of success or a success manager, depending on the size of the organization, because they're going to know those metrics and that process and that efficiency model better than anyone. I think most firms that we deal with, um, it's largely going to be the owner a lot of the times that has to do that. Um, if you're fortunate enough to have people that are brilliant and you guys can afford to have certain roles that you can help with that capacity planning or just other aspects, then, you know, that's someone like a me or a VP of some sort or a manager of some sort. But I would say generally it's going to fall on the owner um, more times than not. I just want to clarify. I feel like you did say that you are brilliant. And while we agree, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome to slide it in that way. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, Gotta give myself a nod every now and then. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it also is very hard uh, when the owner is also part of the capacity. And so when they're yeah. still in a production role, it, it's capacity planning is already challenging. So then you layer in the fact that you're still working in the business in the productive production role, um, maybe a full-time production role. And you kind of downplay the importance of capacity and you feel that you can run the business based on other factors that you can't measure. And that's why it's so important to have things that you truly can measure and not based on feel alone. Because if it's if you're running the business based on feel alone, it could get out of you can get out of touch with that business really, really fast. Yeah. And especially if you go on feel alone like if you have team members that are just die hard dedicated to the company and they want nothing but the company to succeed they will never speak up and say hey i'm at capacity they will work themselves into the ground to make you happy but then also make sure that they they feel like their worth is showing right and um i think that that's a big piece to where you just can't run capacity planning based off feel because no one 
very rarely are they going to speak up and just say, Hey, like, I can't take anymore. I'm done. Well, when they do speak up, it'll, that is, that is what happens when they speak up. Yeah. They're no longer an option because they're gone. Typically that's, that's a different conversation. Uh, It's not an improvement conversation. It's a um, employment conversation. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think it's exactly right, Marcus. Like I think the stage that companies get to where capacity planning becomes critical is that stage of where the business owner makes the realization that they can no longer be a bottleneck in the company because once the business owner can step out and work on the company, not in the company, that's where capacity planning can really flourish because generally by that point you have a team that, you know, needs the capacity planning for one and two, it removes you from the equation. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, the other piece there, and, and I've seen that with, with my um, transitions over the years, you become a little bit disconnected to the production. And if you don't pay attention to certain things, you'll just assume everything is fine. And you just really have no idea because you just see the end product. You don't know what went into that like process. You don't know how it was, how, how much it took to get to that end goal. And unless you're truly staying plugged in by reviewing certain metrics, then you, you, you lose empathy. You lose just connection with the team that's working in the business. Yeah, I agree. And to be honest, like a lot of business owners too, they know they can do it better than almost anybody on their team because it's them. It's their business. Like I can do this better. And if you're familiar with Gary V, um, he, I'll remove the foul language because that's what he tends to (laughs) lean towards. But um, he said once in one of his speeches that like, I know I can do it better than my team, but I don't expect them to do it better than me. Right. Which basically means like anyone's going to try to do it better and get better. But as a business owner, you always are assuming that you can do it better and it's hard to give up that control. Right. Um, And I think once you can give up that control and rely on the team, even though you know, they're not going to do it as good as you, that's when you can really start to step away and build that ultimately that plan to remove yourself from that. We have shared, um, you guys have shared a ton of ways that capacity planning is helpful to a business. Is there anything, and as far as final thoughts that you want to highlight as far as what capacity planning can help with? I think overall it helps with quality of life um, in general, right? I think if you can build an effective process and there's no silver bullet, either right like there's no one fix all for capacity planning it's all going to be unique to your situation your industry your team if you can figure it out and you can understand and be able to plan ahead for hiring for incoming business for onboardings implementations for sales for marketing teams whatever it may be if you can figure out a system that where you can plan for that it's going to reduce the friction and the stress not only on yourself but more importantly on your team, because your team is the ones that actually reap that reactivity stress more than you. And so I think if you can figure it out, it's that's what it's all about. And I know every business owner out there it prioritizes quality of life for their team as they should. And this is one of those instrumental steps to remove one more piece of that friction in your business. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing that this is like a surefire way to improve culture 
in your organization. Um, having people who are working what they expect to work as far as what they committed to when they joined your organization, um, not feeling a burden or a stress of having more clients than what they can actually handle. Uh, but also from a hiring standpoint where you're not hiring a warm body because you need someone to come in and do work, but you actually have time to take and find out who that person is and are they a good fit with your team? So absolutely yes. love this conversation. And you know, the answer to improved culture is not necessarily sending cookies or having happy hours, um, but really something that can help so much more is making sure that the quality of life for individual people are taken care of. This reminds me of a story. We, um, you know, we just closed out a year and um, have friends that are firm owners and, she was sharing what her revenue was for the last year and you know it was well above four million so it was like congratulations and she's like oh we're never doing that again and so it's you know the pain that comes with if you don't pay attention to certain things and the business just happens and you're just along for the ride and the business is really driving the day-to-day -day, the week-to-week -week, the month-to-month um, you're at the mercy of somebody else not yourself you aren't in control any longer and so it can easily be said of like somebody that gets a W-2 as well. And then you get that W-2 in the mail in January and you're like, huh, I made that much money. I, I do not remember that. And it's, um, you know, kind of being in control of everything from the beginning. So whether it's starting with the end in mind and building out, building a business that actually has a structure to it in the amount where it's easy to digest, where you're not burning people out, which to y'all's point, is culture and important in today's society um that that's truly what kind of would be a takeaway as well well thank you guys so much this has been an excellent conversation hopefully it helps out somebody who's thinking through this or maybe even struggling through a challenge with making sure that they have the right amount of team members in the right seats so again thank you all and we'll talk to you later all right thank thanks you. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. If you have thoughts, comments, or feedback you would like to share, please leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.